Welcome to Essential Coaching Conversations with Kyle and Asim. The real, relevant, necessary conversations to help you navigate coaching, teaching, learning, and life. Coach, welcome to episode 42 of Essential Coaching Conversations. And as you can see from the title, today is all about the WNBA. And so today, my number 42 is the incomparable enigma that is Brittany Griner. Welcome home, BG. It's been great to see her back on the court. And Kyle, you have a very special connection here for your number 42 that uh, played against BG. Go for it. Yeah, um, all things WNBA, and I'll get into some of the the textures history with the WNBA, but I'll, I'll kind of lead it off with my number 42, and that's Shanavia Dowdell, who played for the Texters um, back in like 07 to 2010. Um, she was a, a second round draft pick in 2010 to the Washington Mystics, and she played when I was uh, finishing up my undergrad and then in grad school when I was a graduate assistant for our men's team. So I got to watch her very closely. Um, and so she's my number 42 and there's actually a pretty cool, uh, little tie in here where, uh, Brittany and Shanavia actually played against each other during that, um, 2009, 2010 season tech went, uh, they went 23 and nine. They were whack champs, went to the NCAA tournament. Dowdell was our, you know, kind of the centerpiece of that particular year. Uh, Teresa Weatherspoon, who I'll get to talk about in a little bit was the head coach at the time. And Dowdell was player of the year, tournament player of the year, all defensive player of the year. I mean, she was, she was a beast and tech had a, a really tough week where they played um, LSU who was ranked number seven in the country. Shanavia had like 26 and eight against them. They lost by three. And then later that weekend, they went to Baylor in Waco, who was number eight and had Brittany Griner on their team. And uh, Shanavia put up, uh, I believe it was 17 and nine had a near double double against Brittany. They were guarding each other. And uh, Brittany had 22 and eight and six blocks in that game um, and, and got the best of my textures. They ended up How, how many of those blocks was she blocking Shanavia? Uh, now that I can't tell you. We're going to say zero. <laughs> we're going to need to find those fun. synergy stats ASAP. Yeah, we're going to say they were all guards. Um, but that team also, I guess just kind of continuing down this rabbit hole, like that team also had probably my all-time favorite texture um, and Adrian Johnson, number 33. So I'm throwing it, uh, number-wise, throwing it back a little bit. But I, Adrian was drafted in 2011 um, by the Connecticut Sun. And she was, I mean, she was she was my absolute favorite texture to watch play. Uh, she was unreal. She could forward, kind of do a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. um, and so she was on that team um, with Shanavia. So I got to watch both of them play together. Um, really, really great team. And so that was kind of neat when we were, talking about getting this episode together and realizing that the years synced up and it was like, man, I, I think we played Baylor back then. And sure enough, uh, we did. And um, so Brittany got the best of us that day, but um, good games um, from both of our 42s there. I'll tell you what, Brittany got the best of a lot of people when she, she was did. in college. Uh, I mean, I remember working the big 12 tournament two years in a row when I was doing my grad work at Oklahoma and first of all, Brittany Griner is probably one of the nicest human beings you're ever going to meet. But you get her between those lines and it's it's game over. Um, there is a reason that Baylor was as good as they were, and it was because they had Brittany Griner. And so I think y'all fell victim to the buzzsaw a little bit um, 
you know, when he had to play against her. But man, it's just like it's cool to to continue to watch her play, to watch all the women in the WNBA play and just see how the league has grown. And so today in our episode, um, you know, we're going to talk about some of the reasons, obviously, that we support. And if you're watching this on on YouTube or shorts or anything, you'll see that, you know, we both have our WNBA hoodies on like we've done a lot with the WNBA and we're just sort of getting started. So we're going to fill you in on some of those things, talk about the growth of the league, hopefully get to, you know, where we can see some expansion happening um, and how we kind of want to be a part of that too. Like I think that there's a ripe opportunity for us at Essential Coaching to expand our coverage and our involvement with the WNBA. And we've sort of started that piece with what we're doing with Jewel Lloyd and with Playmakers and stuff like that. So um, stay tuned. It's going to be a great episode. But Kyle, I want to kind of throw it to you first. Um, Let's talk a little bit about most recently kind of what we were able to do. And this is something that is the third, the third one of these. And that is our annual WNBA League Pass giveaway. And sort of shouting out some of the folks who won, but also like explaining the importance of why we give away subscriptions to WNBA League Pass. Yeah, it's all about continuing our our vision and, and mission of creating the deepest connected coaching community in the world and creating the exponential generational change. And and you know, part of the the big push here, I believe when we started this was three years ago, that was the 25th anniversary of the WNBA and we're sitting here and now, you know, season 27. And I feel like the league is in a really great spot right now because they're picking up more and more momentum each year. You're starting to see arenas getting filled. You know, you're seeing this outrage on, on social media every time somebody gets cut and it's like, Hey, expand the league. You know, we need more teams. And, um, you know, there, there's a, there's a, a growing interest in it. And honestly, what, one of the things that drew me to, the WNBA, um, you know, years ago was really my own coach development when I was still a head coach. And I, I think I, I mean, I'm sure I got kind of this idea from you when we first started talking was, you know, I we're sitting here talking about like NBA summer league games and we're swapping clips back and forth of like, Hey, how would you guard this? Or what do you see here? And what do you see there? And like, I'm coaching high school boys and you're coaching high school girls. And it's just like, you know, you kind of asked the question, it was like, well, how does this translate to what we're doing? And it was like, man, it, it, it really doesn't, you know? Um, and so just looking for really high level basketball, really high level women's basketball translated to our game more so than six foot nine fours, you know, and six, six point guards and things like that. And it was like, man, I really could actually glean a lot more from the game as a coach and develop more my style of play, my teaching process, all of this, looking at the women's game more. And this had just started kind of coming out, making the WNBA a little bit more accessible with their league pass online. And um, and so we started watching more games online. We were like, you know, it'd be, I wonder how many people even know this exists. You know, you're most of the girls you've coached in high school and in college, like they don't watch the WNBA. And, and a lot of it is just a a lack of knowing where to go when it's on, how to find it, you know, who are the teams, who are the stars, all of that. Um, and so we had an idea to sponsor some league pass giveaways and get, you know, get people on the site just to watch games. And, um, you know, I want to say the first year league pass was relatively cheap. 
And so we sponsored like 10, I think, programs and just, you know, yeah, it used to, to be 999. It used to be 9.99. Right. So I think we I think we had said like, hey, we'll sponsor five. And we had like seven people reach out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're like, oh, what the hell? We'll just sponsor two more. And then last year, the second year we did it, um, you know, they raised the price, whatever, good for them. Um, and we were like, all right, we can we can afford to do five. Mm-hmm. And I think we had like nine people, you know, reach out and fill out our little form. Well, this year we had almost 80 people fill out the form. And I think that speaks to some consistency and and mm-hmm. what we're doing with it, but it just speaks to the growth of the game as well. And I think those two things go hand in hand. And so we were like, man, like these are, these are some really great submissions of like why people want access to this and you know, there's no way we can just pick five. And so we mm-hmm. decided to double it and we ended up sponsoring 10 and we had a really great mix of division one, small college, men's, women's, youth, um, you know, people that you've probably heard of, people that I know you've never heard of, people that we know, people that we don't know. Um, and it was a really, really great blend of, you know, groups of people, um, very diverse, very, you know, well-rounded, very, all those things to kind mm-hmm. of tie a lot of spaces together which again is 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 part of why we're doing this we want to connect people that otherwise would never be connected have a conversation with people you would likewise never have a conversation with and um we're able to you know throw throw all of our winners into a a group chat and now we've got some discussion that's happening and so first off congratulate to all of them we won't necessarily shout out everybody by name here but what we can do is we can put in the show notes a link yep. to the thread that you made so what we would suggest everybody do here in order for, you know, to make that next connection, go click on that tweet, go follow, find and follow all of the winners and their programs. Mm-hmm. And so, again, the idea is just to create more community here, create more connection. And hopefully what we've got now, even with these winners, is just another small society for professional development. And so that that brings me to some of the the content and the things that we're doing with the WNBA through hundred point games and I'll, I'll kind of throw it, I'll serve it back over to you um, to talk about some of the, the pieces that you do. Um, and then that gave me some ideas to kind of piggyback off of that. Mm-hmm. And I was able to put some stuff together this weekend and, and it's already started creating some cool discussion in that group with, with these WNBA uh, coaching winners that we were able to, to find this past week. Yeah. I mean, and so again, like congratulations to those winners. I think when you and I discussed who should win, Right. I think a lot of what we looked at was the reason that they were going to use the league pass. And I think the ones that we chose really made an effort to use the WNBA as a connection point with their teams. And so being able then for them to say, hey, we're going to use this incredible product and the WNBA being the product, not just League Pass, but the whole experience to enhance the experience, whether it's boys or girls, men or women watching women's basketball to enhance what we're already doing. That like spoke volumes to us with the ability to just share the game and also to be able to support, um, you know, for the first time in three years, an HBCU women's basketball program to help help that coach grow the game at Virginia Union. I think that's really like it's an amazing opportunity for us to create that exponential generational change through the deepest connected coaching community in the world and just serves to deepen those connections. 
Um, but as far as content goes, and I think this also speaks to deepening some of those connections and really deepening the understanding of how we view the game in essential coaching. And we've done um, one episode on essential elements. We need to queue up and probably do an episode on 100 point games. We keep asking each other, like, this is the funniest part. We're like, hey, haven't we done an episode on 100 point games? And I'm like, no, I don't think so. And then, like, the next week, I'll ask you, hey, did do an episode on this? So, <laughs> That is coming, y'all. We're going to do an episode on 100-point games, kind of like the redux of one of the episodes I did several years ago on the Hardwood Hustle about 100-point games. Um, but now that we've sort of refined it, and we can we can point to some clips, and we'll, we'll do some of that stuff as well. But um, yeah, so I think, you know, for me, and you alluded to this a little bit earlier, like I've coached girls and women for probably the last, over the last decade or so. Um, and what I found was that and this is not the made up statistic. I think it's probably pretty close. 90% of the women or girls that I coached did not watch the WNBA. In fact, they didn't watch basketball except for maybe like the local, uh, you know, the local NBA team where they knew specific players. And I think generationally, like that is a thing. So I, I remember doing this in one of my classes where there was an article from, I think it was like Wired or something. Um, or Bleacher Report, I don't know who it was, but they published this this massive study about like how current generation, like people of the of this current generation are following players more than they are teams. And so it's more it's easier for them to just log on to Instagram or log on to Twitter or something and like see highlights of that player as opposed to having to follow a team and be invested in all of that, which makes total sense. Like I get that piece. Um, and so what I started doing was buying league pass every year for myself, but then sharing the login with my teams. And I've just kept that going for like the, almost the, I don't know, the last, at least the last eight years. Um, and so what I found was there was an opportunity for us to just sit there and, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, Kyle, we downloaded like Screencast-O-Matic uh, because we didn't <laughs> know how to like take screenshot or like screen caps of you know, video and like send them to, to people. Right. So like, you know, we've sort of evolved since then, but I think that piece of being able to break down the game at the highest quote unquote level, but also the most relatable level has been a game changer for us. And so it takes me nothing to sit down, watch a game, record some clips, Put some commentary on it as far as on the tweets and start looking at trends in how we're getting to 100 points. And you can talk about that here in a second with, you know, your race to 100. But, you know, putting out some teaching points and teaching clips that I would send to my own players, like my current players at, at uh, my new job, which hooray, like got a new I'm a new head coach again for the third time, which is super exciting. Um, but have already started with the WNBA and sending clips to my kids and saying like, hey, what do you notice right here? Hey, what do you think about this clip? Tell me about the spacing right here. And like, I think it serves as just another connection point. But as far as the Twitter content and the medium content, we sent an email to our subscribers uh, last week with multiple threads on Twitter that ended up turning into medium blogs. And Kyle, you wrote a great medium article the other the other day. Um, just to be able to use the WNBA as a study in how we can take some of our ideas, whether that's essential elements, whether it's 100-point games, it's the human component, it's you know 
everything that we talk about and putting it on full display for people to see how it manifests at the highest levels. And we can go back to our levels conversation. It's like episode five or something like nobody really cares whether it works at the high school level because like it's high school. Nobody's really going after these high school coaches and saying, Hey, tell me how you get your kids to play so hard or how they, you know, get them to do this, that, and the other. They all want the pro example. So what we're doing is we're taking the most relatable, relevant pro level and putting it on display and saying, Hey, here is excellent basketball, but we're doing it on our terms which I think is really special. Like I think nobody else is really providing that level of insight or content into, into the WNBA as kind of a whole. Um, and with the popularity of the league, what we've seen is that we've gotten some really good engagement on a lot of those threads where like WNBA personalities, like my, I still think that the, the crowning achievement of my social media life was having Dierica Hamby retweet a tweet that I tagged her in. And I think it was her like being the rim runner. And I remember I have a screenshot Mm -hmm. of it somewhere on my computer, but like that was the crowning moment of my life because like the WNBA players are also the most accessible players as it pertains to being professional athletes, right? An NBA player probably will never see a tweet you tag them in, but the WNBA players actually care about this stuff. And so I feel like we have a real opportunity to use that accessibility as an asset for the work that we do and give, give these women their flowers for playing incredible brands of basketball. Yeah. And it, again, it just continues the, that particular conversation and creates another Avenue for it. And so by, you know, tying again, these things that are sort of our, our lens and the way we view this, pushing it through another medium that is the WNBA. And like me personally, I love studying, you know, random obscure teams from Europe. Right. Like that's one of my favorite like summertime hobbies is to just go go to like the Euroleague website, find a team that I feel like plays stylistically like the way I would want to, and then I'll break them down. And there's great value in that. And it's awesome. I like me personally, I love doing that. But I don't know if a lot of people over here, you know, care about that kind of stuff. But if you if you do something with a WNBA team that's in your city or somebody that's more relevant because they went to their your university, right? Like if you're from Notre Dame, like Arike went to Notre Dame, you're going to understand that. Um, Jewel went to Notre Dame, you know, and now she lives in Seattle, but she's from Chicago. Like there's multiple touch points for somebody like a Jewel Lloyd all throughout the country. And so she instantly becomes that much more relatable to you. And, and again, like more accessible, as you said. And it is cool to see that like they appreciate that there is an effort I think, you know, that that they want to help grow the game and you don't grow the game without fans. And the the easiest way to grow the game and pick up new fans is to become accessible and engage with your fans, because at that point, you're not selling a product, you're selling an experience. All great businesses, all great anythings are not great products. They're, you're selling an experience. Like when you buy an Apple product, an iPhone, a MacBook, um, when you go get a new car, it's about the, the, the experience of the unboxing, of the packaging, of setting it up and obviously it has to be a quality product or you won't keep buying it but there's there's a there's there's almost like this emotional tie and connection to it right like you're not buying the product you're buying from a person because you have a connection to them and so that again is this human component piece this foundational piece that we talk about all the time 
And so then it's just neat to kind of put our own little spin on it, like with essential elements or 100 point game. So like you did your thread on opening uh, opening night. And I think I threw a little opening night kind of article or blog together covering some things. And then, you know, you were able to put your ideas in there. And then a thought that I had had through watching your stuff was like, man, I wonder, I wonder which team starting their season that gets to a hundred points the fastest. And then I, I think there's a, a bigger coaching conversation to be had here because what do we do all off season as coaches? We plan, we prepare, we get ready. We do all these things. We scout, we, we, we self scout, you know, we, develop players we have this plan and everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth right like how many seasons had we start where we were very optimistic and then two minutes into our season we're like well all right that six months of planning is down the drain this isn't going to work or that kid's scared or you know i'm an idiot here i'm an idiot there so it's just like all right these are professionals these are professional coaches professional players there's some been some movement um which is the other intriguing thing i, I think about the 2023 season in the WNBA. there's a lot of new faces in different places, you've had the likes of like Sue Bird, who've been in the league forever, you know, that she's done. Um, Stewie's changed teams. There's been the, kind of these super teams that have almost kind of. You know, it's, it's not fair that Stewie's in New York. I'm just going to say. No, that it's, 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 it's not. It's not. And then you have like Jewel, who was, you know, on a really, really stacked team. All of a sudden, like she's the foundation, right? So mm-hmm. now she has to create and figure out a new role for herself. Um, you know, my Dallas wings, it seems like they have eight picks in the top 10 every year. And it's like, okay, well, how are they going to be able to finesse all of that? Right. Like Vicki Johnson, who's a, a former texture and was actually drafted in the WNBA. She was the head coach. Well, now she's an assistant coach with the Atlanta dream. Christy sides, who's a former texture, who was coach Brooks roommate when they were the texture. She was an assistant for Atlanta last year. She's now the head coach for the Indiana fever. And so you still have like the league still has all of these really cool, amazing storylines that are still kind of moving and, and weaving themselves through outside of something blockbuster-ish like a Brittany Griner coming home and playing for the first time in two years. Um, and so it's interesting to see all these pieces, you know, fitting themselves together. And then you have teams that are pretty veteran. You have teams that are extremely young, like the Indiana Fever. Um, and so they obviously have a lot of things that they need to figure out, plus a new head coach, plus a you know GM mm-hmm. and all that. So Anyway, the idea was, all right, whose plan, you know, kind of unboxes itself first. And so the idea was, was to, to watch all six games, all 12 teams and clip all of their possessions and, and score them to see how they got to 100 and looked at that. And then from that, basically break that down and kind of see what themes um, and, and we can link this story in the show notes as well. But kind of a little bit of a spoiler alert to what you just said. New York was number one and it wasn't even close. It took them 90 seconds of game time to reach a hundred points. And they did it in four possessions, which is kind of amazing. Like they averaged 33.8 points. They got to 135 points in four possessions. And they were only, I think like, I think they had 90 or 95 points, just three possessions in. So they were close to doing it in three possessions on the flip side of that. Chicago took 10 possessions and took Mm. almost four and a half minutes of game time to get to their hundred points. And they only, they only got to 102. And so then we can start breaking down the in-betweens of this, of, you know, how many points possession were they getting? You know, what were, what were sort of their empty possessions? And, And I can tell you right now, as valuable as a 30 point possession can be, 
it's probably just as it, it more important when you have single digit possessions, when you end up with empty possessions. And again, these are professional basketball players, professional coaches, professional staffs. And there were NBA teams with uh, WNBA teams with WNBA players that had possessions of one point, two points, three points. And so I think it speaks to a little bit of grace for you high school coaches out there, you junior high coaches out there like, oh, man, we turned it over on the first. Possess- well, yeah, so did Chicago. Chicago turned it and over Chicago three straight ended possessions. Up yeah, right? turned it over three straight possessions. Yeah. <laughs> and they were and terrible. Like, That's the crazy part, too, right, is that the, the race to 100, like, so New York was first, mm-hmm. but they lost that game to the Mystics. Lost the game. Pretty, yep. pretty handily. Because they could not consistently get 95 points in three possessions. Whereas Chicago struggled early in that game, turned it over three times. And like in a high school game, that's like, oh my God, woe was me. The jacket's coming off, like we're stomping mm-hmm. around, whatever. And it's I'll like, no, out. S- stick with it, right? We're going to be fine. And then Chicago ends up going 2-0 and on the weekend, mm-hmm. right? So I think there's something to that where like, you know, not to, not to, belabor the point here but if we can get to 100 really quickly we're probably pretty good but how do we do that over the course of a game over the course of a week over the course of a season and so that's where we have that character conversation too i mean if we were to look at like you know this upcoming weekend's games and we did the exact same study would the results turn out the same way right and so then over the course of time what are those consistencies in those habits so like as shameless plug for Worcester Academy here, as Aaliyah Boston continues to improve, right? Worcester Academy alum, first overall pick in the draft. Does Indiana's average possession score go up in their race to 100 per game? Yeah, and the interesting thing there, you mentioned New York losing to Washington. Guess who was number 11 on this list? The Mystics. Mm-hmm. They were at 13 points of possession, whereas New York was 20 points better per possession than them to start the game. It took Washington almost four minutes to get there. It took them eight possessions. And then the Wings, who won, they beat Atlanta. Atlanta actually came in number three on this list at over 20 points of possession. Dallas was uh, just under 15 points of possession at 14.9, and they were eighth on the list, and Dallas won the game. And so you're sitting here thinking like, okay, well, why does this matter then? Because I think you're starting to look at, again, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, right? Like, what can we do over the course of time? And if you're familiar with Dallas and Arike and the way that they play, like Arike is kind of a a loose cannon when it comes to what she gets to do with the That's basketball. That's the nicest like, way to put eh. how Arike Agunbawale plays. <laughs> I mean, I'm Shout out Nitra little... Perry, by the way. Shout out to Nitra. <laughs> I know you're going to listen, and you better laugh when you hear this part. I'm trying to be a little homerish here, but like... She takes these shots that most people would pull their hair out over, but she got hot at one point and they got up like 17 and Satu Sabali was like amazing in that game. And she, in my opinion, was the best player on the floor and like is the reason that they ended up winning that game. But Arike gets hot and goes crazy for a little bit. But if you go back and you watch their first few possessions, you know, they were at, I think they had a zero to start the game. They had an offensive foul call, like one pass into the game. They had a two and a 13. So it, again, it's a, it's not about how you start or how you finish or anything like that. Like the first two minutes are just as important 
as the last two minutes. But I do think that it speaks to this consistency and this character conversation that we have. And based off of just watching like a very, very, very small sample size, I like New York's chances in most of the games that they're going to play just by the virtue of how they go through their possessions. Even as a Dallas fan, I don't love the way they play a lot of times by virtue of how they're going and getting their possessions. And in that game, Atlanta, in my opinion, was actually the better team through a lot of those stretches. They moved the ball more. They went side to side. They were inside out. Like they played kind of quote unquote that right way. It was a little more aesthetically pleasing. And they got a lot of ton of open looks. They just didn't hit him. Where Dallas looked awful on defense in a lot of ways, but they got bailed out just because Atlanta didn't hit shots. But if they were to go back and play that game again, so I've got that circled, right? I want to watch the Dallas-Atlanta game when they play again. If Arike doesn't go nuts there hitting four or five step backs and Atlanta knocks down some of those open jumpers, that's a completely different game script all of a sudden. And right now, so as we're recording this, the Dream are playing the Lynx on League Pass and the Dream are again having a really rough night shooting the ball and they're down 17. You know, like it's just it is what it is when it comes to being able to make shots at a really, really high level. But it doesn't mean we stop playing the right way just because shots aren't going in. And so that's something that we look at in terms of how we can track some of this data and really just like showcase the league in that way of, look, these are who these teams are. Right. Atlanta is going to play how Atlanta is going to play. And now that they don't have Kennedy Carter, they're actually taking really good shots. Because Kennedy Carter and Enrique are like the Spider-Man meme. Mm-hmm. They, they, they are the same in terms of how they play and the terrible shots they take. And so I think what's really interesting too is like, this is, I, I think, is a, a relatively recent phenomenon. But if you notice the way we're talking about the players, everybody's on a first name basis or has a nickname. Right? And like, I don't think that was a thing 20 years ago when the league was in its infancy. So I think it's part of the branding aspect. Like Nafisa Collier is playing right now, but she is just, she's feet. Right. Or like, you know, Arike or Kennedy or, you know, Caleb McBuckets. They all have these nicknames. Mm -hmm. They have these personalities that have been sold to us and people are buying that. And so showcasing that and then understanding too, how each individual team has its own identity Because it's not like the NBA where they're playing 82 games, they have this massive postseason, they have this preseason, and there's like year-round coverage of all the coaching changes and LeBron and Russell Westbrook and all of this stuff. Like We also need to look, and this is where we can sort of appeal to some of these coaches, right? These schematic things and the thematic elements of how teams play, we don't get that year-round. Right, this is just in the summer, and so by being able to highlight some of that stuff and say, like, this is how Atlanta has started their season. This is how Chicago has started their season over the course of time. Let's track and see if that actually holds true, or if they're trying to change their identity. What are they trying to do? I think it's like a really cool study in how a short season, because they're playing forty games this year for the first time, how a short season that mirrors right a high school season. Like when you were at Burrow, you guys played about 40, 50 games, mm-hmm. um, sort of the same length of that season. How do you make those adjustments? What are those yeah. adjustments? 
Yeah. And you mentioned summer too, right? Like it's improvement season right now. So like, what are you doing? Like, Oh, we want to break down, watch film. Like, okay, well, here you go. Like you have 40 games of 12 franchises. Like there's a ton of opportunity here to develop professionally. And, and that's the great thing about league pass is like all these games, if you can't watch them in, in the moment, cause they're blacked out or they're actually on a network, which is great that they're on a network, but I still get a little annoyed that like, I can't watch it on league pass. Um, which is kind of one of the issues that we've talked about, like from a WNBA standpoint, like what could they do to bring in even more fans and make things a little easier? Their website is not typically the easiest thing to navigate and hard to find some things on there from time to time, but um, but all these things are there on demand. So even like going back and watching a Dallas wing game after the fact, if I, you know, if I didn't get to watch it live or whatever, um, you have all of this at your fingertips to go sit there and find out like, okay, 10 games into this season. If you're one of these coaches that's going to talk about, I want to race in space and I want to play conceptually. And I want to do that, do that. Like, okay, go find the team that sort of mirrors that who's playing in the upper echelon of pace in the league and go back and start watching their games. And not necessarily, again, like, I want the X's and O's part. Like, I want to draw up this horns to flex action. Like, okay, but what are they doing consistently? And that that sort of speaks to, like, the end of my Race to 100 article that I wrote, is the things that I notice good teams do, and by good, I'm talking about high-point possession teams, versus the teams that don't do as well. So they were a little on, on, on more on the, the poor side. And honestly, the number one thing that stands out between teams that score high versus score low is they pitch the ball ahead. They get their advantages early and they get their advantages often. They know where they're going. They have a spacing template. They're able to flip the switch. They're not necessarily trying to find their point guard to bring the ball up the floor. There's plenty of examples in some of these clips where a four or even a quote-unquote five is their own outlet, and they're allowed to take two or three dribbles up the floor and then find a guard. So it allows you to get down the floor quicker. You're beating the defense down there. You're finding your advantages quicker. You're pitching the ball early and opposite. And then they they play out of that. And what was amazing was the teams that were not scoring well early on were the teams that were trying to quote-unquote run their stuff. And they control were, the game, right? They, they were, were trying to dictate the game. Yes, they yeah. were desperately trying to get into their 9, 10, 11-piece set where you had to have this one thing happen to get this person the ball at this point. And, and like by virtue of the team just denying one pass, by virtue of the team screwing up the timing off of one screen, it was like one little gritty grain of sand in the coffee pot like breaks the whole machine. And so that, that takes me to like our, our buddy, Brian, like an anti-fragile offense. How fragile is your offense? Like, yes, this set will work if A, B, C, D, and E happen. But if something happens along the way, like, are you able to continue to flow? And that's, I love, and I've talked about this before, but I love the basketball to me is like water, like just water Mm. rolling down a hill. It doesn't matter if there's a rock, a boulder, a tree, a bug anything like water will continue to roll downhill and you cannot stop it. And to me, that's what an anti-fragile offense is like. Like there's always a next best action, a next best decision. And the teams that really struggled were the ones that were very clunky and trying to get through their stuff. And it wasn't until they started 
pitching ahead, pushing, playing in transition where they got an easy basket and and one. And then all of a sudden that started to really open things up for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those were some of the, just the trends and things that I noticed from watching even just the first few minutes. And again, it's a, it's a very small sample size. Most of the, like you said, the, most of the teams that did really well, they lost most teams that did poorly, they ended up winning. But again, if you had, if I had to pick like, who would I want to be, who would I want to coach? Who would I want to basically sort of put my hypothetical money on? I'm going to go with the team that regularly scores 30 point possessions because over time or a team like the Atlanta dream that got sevens and nines consistently, eventually the law of averages is going to end up working in their favor versus the 18 dribble step back that, you know, if it doesn't go in, then again, like how fragile are we all of a sudden? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that's like a great lesson for coaches in general of like, these things are not, unique to the WNBA they're just on display in the WNBA and you know for the price of a few cups of coffee a week you can watch essentially WNBA synergy and not have to pay for it like the actual WNBA synergy because you can get league pass and so being able to go and do your film study and all of that stuff like everybody's you know watching the nba finals right now again that's i think something that we talked about a little bit with one of the improvements that we would make is like why was opening weekend um the same as yeah friday it was on friday you know it was on friday like that was that was silly right so like everybody's watching the nba playoffs right now but none of that is really relatable to you so being able to watch the w and understanding like Cheryl Reeve runs really, really good stuff, but she's got players that are really, really good in the spots that she's putting them in. You may not have a Diamond Miller on your team, but you have something similar to that, right? Whereas you likely don't have LeBron on your team or Jason Tatum on your team. And so I think you make a really good point about the pitching ahead and sort of the trusting that that person's going to make the next best decision. And it's something that we as, you know, high school coaches, small college coaches, whatever, like the majority of our listening audience, that's really what you're trying to get your team to do is trust each other. And so those things are certainly on display in the WNBA far more, I think, than in the NBA, where the, the headlines are like, should Joe Mazzula be fired because the Celtics are about to get swept? What? Mm-hmm. Like, that's crazy talk. But then there's like all these rumblings about when Doc Rivers was there, the players did this and da-da-da-da. Like, you don't really hear that as much in the WNBA, partially because it's not a year-round product. But the other part is like, that's not the story of what's happening here. The story of what's happening here is that we're trying to grow a league of the most talented players in the world, and there's only 144 of them. And so we've created a little bit more demand for the really, really good players to say like, hey, we should expand this thing because there are these really, really good players who do have that, like they will trust in the team and do all of these things. There's just not enough space for them. And so I think where the the WNBA has made some calculated moves in order to create this sort of like critical mass of people that are really pulling for the league. And we, I think, are part of that critical mass of people who are pulling for the league to be really successful. 
And, you know, I'm hopeful that we can showcase more of the really, really good players, especially the young players who are coming out of college. Like, you know, I don't really buy into what Alexis Morris is talking about. We're like telling older players to retire and stuff like that. Like, I think that's a little crazy. But, you know, having the ability to watch some of these transcendental stars from college women's basketball who are really good, have a shot to play in the pros and play in a way where when we break it down in our EC lens, they are the stars of the show because they will make that extra pass. They will kick early opposite. They will drive that 45. They will do all those things. And then you have some really good coaches in the WNBA. I mean, if you watch that second half, and I think this would be an interesting thing to do too, like instead of the race to 100 just in the first quarter, do it in the third quarter too and see who comes out ahead mm. there. Like my Eric Tebow is one of my really good friends. And like as the head coach of the Mystics, there was a significant change from that first quarter performance where I think there was a lot of jitters to man, in the third quarter, they just took over. And then in the second half of that game, they just took over and they were running great stuff. They were playing at a pace. They were doing all the things you described. And I think when you have that and it's sort of that chess match as, as you know, the proverbial chess match every night, these coaches are excellent coaches. And what they're doing is also doing it with severely limited staff as it compares to the NBA. And so what you have is coaches that are making these adjustments who are putting together these game plans and they don't have 19 video people and workout people and all of this stuff. They're doing it with limited resources, limited staff. We just did an episode on resources, right? And they're making mm. it work for the players and the players are playing at a really high level. So I think, you know, the WNBA is certainly on the rise. We are certainly hoping to be a part of that, especially with our partnership with Jewel, getting to know some of these WNBA players and getting to know some of these personalities within the WNBA and really just, you know, I, I really see a bright future for the league and I'm hopeful we can figure out the expansion piece um, because there are some really good players that are being left out in the cold right now. Um, and I'm hopeful too, as Diana Taurasi said, that one day we don't have to watch the WNBA in the summer because we're playing basketball during basketball season. Um, and and women can stay here and make a living playing basketball in the United States in the winter, as opposed to having to go overseas and obviously like, risk what happened to bg happening to any one of them yeah and what's crazy is was uh charlie collier was the number one pick what two years ago by my wings i believe she was the yeah, i think it was two i think it was two years ago yeah two number maybe one pick. i don't want to think it was three i think it was two years ago yeah yeah 2021 and got waived before this season like when was the last time and you know a number one overall pick you know, didn't make it two years and was just flat out waived and like they're done, you know, and yeah. not even in the league anymore. I and mean, it's, it's, right. it's crazy. Now you could big conversation there. Like, should she have been number one overall pick? Why are we doing that? You know, what's the evaluation process? Did she develop, you know, was there trust amongst staff? I mean, lot, lots of different directions that we could go, but it is interesting that your number one overall pick is just like an afterthought all of a sudden mm-hmm. and, and gone. Um, and you just don't see that you know really in literally else. any other sport in yeah any other sport like nobody that doesn't happen because there's like 
the roster limitations and the money that's tied up with a number one overall pick in every other sport, that person's making the roster. Yeah, not that you know. I think you have to question like why that decision was made, but I think you could also say like, okay, well, good on Dallas for pulling the trigger on that and like deciding mm-hmm. like, no, this is not happening. Like, we're not just going to keep running the same thing out there over and over and over again just for the sake of that. And and like f- for a WNBA example, like uh, Junior uh, out of Louisiana Tech this year went undrafted, gets picked up by the Grizzlies, is absolutely dominant in the G League, starts to get some opportunities with the Grizzlies, but the Grizzlies have these first and second round draft picks mm-hmm. that Junior was clearly better than. And they were not going to not play them. I mean, right. like as a general manager, you can't make that move in the middle of a year and admit to yourself, admit to your president and everybody else, like, oh, no, we screwed up. And mm-hmm. so they basically had to like kind of wade and ride that out. And eventually Junior ends up, you know, signing like a four-year deal or something with, with the Grizzlies by the end of the year. But it was going to take a good bit of time for them to even allow that to happen. Like they were going to have to give their draft pick every opportunity that they possibly could to basically save themselves, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the the coolest part about the weekend though, um, and talking about exposure and exponential generational change and all of those things, we went to the opening, uh, opening day of WNBA last year, my wife and or Megan and Kendall and I, I forgot about that. Yeah. And so we went and watched Dallas who again was head coached by Vicki Johnson, former texture. Christy Sides, an assistant with Atlanta, former texture, was there. Um, and so Kendall got to experience a WNBA game. And she's seven now, so she's got a clue as to kind of what's going on. So she knows we're Dallas people um, in our household. And so anytime she sees the Stars or, you know, the Cowboys or the Mavs or the Wings, she gets excited about it. And so I was sitting on my couch uh, this weekend. Megan was out of town, actually, in Dallas. And uh, I was sitting there working on some of these clips. And Kendall walks by and she was like, oh, the wings, that's the wings, daddy. Like, did they win? Like, she was interested in like recognizing, mm-hmm. oh, that's the Dallas wings. And I went to a game and like asking me about the the players and were they going to win and who the coach was and stuff. You know, here's this little seven-year-old who doesn't really care or know anything about basketball. Like she's not into sports by any means, but it's just the fact that she got to go to a game. She had that experience. She has that core memory with her now. And she has something that she can associate with the WNBA. And now when she sees that, she she pulls from that memory and like, who knows what that will do for her? Maybe nothing, but maybe it does. Um, and I just, I think that's really cool that that opportunity is there for this next wave of gener- you know generation of young, young women that the league was around, had been around 20 years by the time Kendall was born. And so it's just amazing to see like the 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 growth that that's been able to have, not just over 25 years, but really just in the last seven, the last two to three years, um, where there there are calls for expansion and bigger arenas and you know those types of things. Where it's crazy that number one overall picks are getting cut and not even really thinking about it, and like where are they going to go? How are they going to be able to play? And you know, should we expand? And if you are going to expand, where are you going to do it at? Where should where should those franchises be? Do they need Two teams, and you're talking about Nitro, like we were having a conversation the other day, like the quick fix is just to simply add two roster spots mm-hmm. just to keep more people in the league. Now, that doesn't fix playing time and all of that, but it would at least allow 
more players to hang on and hang around and get developed and grow and do those types of things. And then eventually maybe get, you know, to that expansion. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's cool. I mean, we're not, you know, affiliated with the WNBA in like an official capacity, but we could be call us if you're interested, WNBA, call us. We could be. Um, but it's just neat to like have an opportunity to do that and then have conversations with other people because we're not the only people out who are interested in this kind of stuff. And, and again, if you're listening to this and you're not familiar or you don't watch the WNBA or whatever, but you are a high school, junior high coach, it is a much more relatable game than the NBA, than even college hoops. Mm-hmm. Just because we don't, we don't have seven footers whose elbows are above the rim. Like we just don't. And if you do, maybe you've had one generationally and that was great for you, but you've got to continue to work with all the other five, eight kids <laughs> that are out there that look and play like me, you know, like, um, so I do think, I do think just even from a, not even so much from like a fan perspective, but those of you out there that talk about like, okay, it's summertime, it's improvement season. It's time to get better. I want to sit and study tape. I want to study film. Like just ask yourself, like, what are you watching? Mm-hmm. And if you're watching in the NBA combine and summer league games, which again, like I do that every summer too, like I do enjoy it. I do think there's something you can get out of it. But when we talk about the lens of good, better, and best, what's more relatable? What can you get more out of? And when you see a concept or you see something, you're like, oh, that might actually translate to what we're doing. Um, I think if you're not taking advantage of this, you're missing out on a really, really awesome opportunity.